0: Well, good morning. If we haven't met, my name is Stephen, and I'm one of the pastors here at New Denver. And I want to begin this morning by asking you a question. It's a question that I get asked pretty regularly. Why are there so many churches? Why are there so many different kinds of churches? I mean, Baptist churches, Methodist churches, Catholic churches. Why are there so many different kinds of churches? I have friends all the time who are not Followers of Jesus, they're not Christians, and they find out I'm a pastor and they ask me, Why are there like so? What's the, your connection to like the Catholic Church? And are you what, what kind of church are you? It's very confusing and, and it's understandably so. I did a little Googling, a little research, and turns out there are 45,000 different denominations worldwide. Not 45,000 churches, there are 45,000 different kinds of Christian churches just here in America. There are over 200 registered denominations. So if we're all Christian, we all follow Jesus, why are there so many different kinds of churches? What's the difference? Well, it's a complex question, and at the heart of that question, and the heart of the reason for that is what we're going to talk about today. If you're new or if you've been out the last couple of weeks, you've been in this series about the Apostles' Creed, Um, understanding more about this ancient statement of faith, which is our statement of faith here at New Denver, why we use that. And today I want to get really practical. If you've missed the last two weeks, I encourage you to go back and listen. Norton and Emily did an amazing job setting this, this up. But I want to talk today about how the creed functions to shape how we think personally about our faith and our convictions and our practices of faith and how we hold those things and how it guides us to do that. And this brings us back to the question of why there are so many different kinds of denominations and churches. Because the answer is complex, but it comes down to this. That one of the the reasons that there are so many different kinds of churches is because people have disagreed about what forms the fundamental core essence pieces. Like what are the, the, the essentials of the Christian faith? From the very beginning, it's always been that way. After Jesus' resurrection and his ascension, his followers took seriously his admonition to go out into the world and to begin sharing with people this message of love and salvation uh, and inviting other people to accept that love, to accept that salvation, and begin following the way of Jesus. And, And what's really interesting is as you read through these documents that form the New Testament section of our scripture, all of these are just letters. They give us insight into what was happening from the very beginning. Letters from leaders like Paul and Peter and others show us that from the very beginning, that as people accepted the message of Jesus and they began to gather together in small groups, um, often they would meet in homes, uh, the book of Acts really tells us a lot about this phase of the church. And what we see is they began to meet and gather together. Uh, they began to practice, become a practicing community of faith. And as they did that, questions began to arise. Um, as they began to form these little, what would become the churches that would eventually become the worldwide church, what we see is that, is that they begin to try and work out all the things that Jesus didn't tell them about what it meant to follow him and what it meant to practice their faith and to live it out in really real and practical kinds of ways. And as we look at some of these ancient documents and as we read these letters that were written, some to specific churches to address things that were going on, some letters that were circulated among the churches, what we see is one of the things that the early leaders of the church were trying to work out was the differences in belief and practice that began to emerge from the very beginning in the early church. There were disagreements about lots of different things. They disagreed about leadership. In one letter, Paul writes to a church in Corinth, and he says, I've heard that you've actually been gathering together, and whoever your teacher, your preacher is, you identify with him as the founder of your faith. Some of you say I follow Apollo. Some of you say that you follow me. Some of you say you follow Peter. And he asks them, is Christ divided? Aren't we one church? He pushes back on them to seek unity and to not give in to these disagreements about who their leaders are. There's lots of other different kinds of challenges that came up. There are challenges that emerged out of the reality that Christianity was birthed out of a different religion, out of Judaism, which brought with it ethnic tensions. Because you had all of these Jewish followers of Jesus. Jesus himself was Jewish. All of his first followers were Jewish. And they begin to take his message out into the world and share it with non-Jewish people. And suddenly there are questions. Do we have to follow all of the same laws that the Jews follow? Do we have to eat kosher? Uh, I mean, the guys in particular were very concerned about a painful male surgery that was sort of marking uh, the, the covenant with Abraham. And do we, do we have to be circumcised in order to follow Jesus? That is a really tough qualification for membership in the church, I'm just going to say. And so they had to work through these questions. But one of the things that came up over and over and over again were disagreements around belief and practice within the church and how to navigate those. When two people or two groups of people had difference of opinion about something that they believed or some way of practicing that their faith that they disagreed with, and they were absolutely convinced that they were right and the other person was wrong or the other group was wrong, figuring out how to navigate that tension was really, really difficult. It's one of the things that we see emerge over and over again in the New Testament. And we get some great insight into how Paul, one of the leaders of the early church, navigated this through one of the letters he wrote to a group of Christians living in the city of Rome. So i want to take a look at some verses today, and I want to talk about what we learned from Paul about how to think about these disagreements that have arisen since the beginning, and how we think about those even for ourselves in our own Uh, ways of how we hold our beliefs and hold our practices. We're going to look at the book of Romans, chapter 14, starting in verse 1, where we read that Paul writes this. He says, except the one whose faith is weak, without quarreling over disputable matters, one person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not. And the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, servants stand or fall. And they will stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand. And he concludes this section, he says this, let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God, for the sake of food. So what's going on here? Paul introduces a new way of thinking about belief and practice that I think is so helpful for us. And this is, let me get into, give you a little bit of explanation, a little background on what's going on here. This isn't just vegetarians versus carnivores. This is not fully what's going on here. There's a religious dimension to this that you have to understand in the city of Rome at this time that a lot of the meat came from markets and it came from, Animals that had been sacrificed to Roman gods. So people would sacrifice to these pagan Roman gods, and then the meat would be taken and be sold in the marketplace. So some followers of Jesus said, That's wrong for us to eat that, because if we eat that meat, we're participating in the sacrifice and we're affirming what we know to be false worship of false gods. It's wrong for us to eat it. Wrong for us to eat that meat. Others looked at it and said, It's just meat. Like, we know those are false gods. It's, if you want to eat meat, like, just eat it. There's nothing, it's not spiritually tainted. It's not going to make you sick. You don't affirm their religion by eating this meat. It's okay. And Paul makes it really clear. He's on team carnivore. Like, he's saying, those whose faith is weak does not, that does not allow them to be able to eat this. But he, instead of, look what he does. This is so interesting. Instead of saying, hey, You're wrong to avoid eating this meat. You're wrong to be a vegetarian. Paul makes space for a difference of practice. And he roots it in personal, individual conviction. He says, it's okay. You can both live out your faith in different ways. Both trying to be faithful to what you believe God has called you to do. And you can come to different conclusions about how to do that. Whether you eat meat or whether you don't eat meat, do it out of a conviction that that's what the Lord has called you to. And don't judge the other, he says. Because ultimately, we're all responsible to God for those convictions. And he says, it's not as if God is going to reject us for the way that we practice eating meat or not. God has accepted us all. This is not a central issue. Essentially, it's what he's saying. He makes it really clear that God has already accepted them regardless of where they stand on these secondary. He calls them disputable matters. How do we know they're disputable? Because there's a dispute happening about them. Paul pushes his readers to embrace unity even if they can't come to uniformity of belief or practice about these secondary matters. He wants them to be united around the essentials of their faith, but to leave room to have freedom for disagreement about these secondary issues. But herein lies the problem. What makes the essentials and what makes non-essentials? How do we distinguish between those two things? How do we decide what are the non-negotiables, what are the things that are the essentials of faith, and what are the things that are secondary or disputable matters? This question brings us back to the Apostles' Creed. The Creed was written originally by leaders of the early church to bring unity around what they saw as the central, most important, most necessary tenets that all Christians in all places, in all times, regardless of which house church you attended, whether you were in Rome or in Athens or what part of the the ancient world you lived in, Everybody could say this creed and believe the same things, whether they ate the meat that they bought in the marketplace that was sacrificed to idols or whether they didn't. These things defined for the early church the central tenets of Christianity. And for about a thousand years, it held the church together. The church held together this unity, even though there was diversity of belief and practice that was emerging. Unfortunately, human nature being what what it is, Um, we were not able to hold on to that perfect unity. And the first split in the church happened around 1054 when churches from the east centered in Constantinople with leadership in Constantinople and churches from the west with their leadership centered in Rome came into disagreement about a number of different things. It's a super complex issue Norton's a historian. He can tell you all about it. But a lot of things were going on that involved political power and influence. But there were theological issues at play, too. Like, should we use leavened or unleavened bread in communion? Should our, should our, should our bread have yeast or not? Literally, this was one of the disagreements. And ultimately, that tension, they were unable to hold that tension or come to a resolution or unable to say, "Hey, if you want to use whatever you want to use, it doesn't matter. it's just the bread. For those leaders at that time, these secondary things became central, and they split. The Great schism created for us the Roman Catholic and the Eastern Orthodox churches, the two oldest sects, the two oldest denominations in Christian history. But unfortunately, we were just getting started in our splitting and our dividing. Um, I found this chart online, which creates a chronology. You're not going to be able to read these things, but I think a picture paints, you know, is better than a thousand words. And if you look to the left, you'll see the, the, the dates, the chronology. Right up there near the top on the left side, you see Roman Catholics. So that's where the Great Schism happens around 1054. And you can see they, they hold on to unity, uh, you know, for the most part around east and west for about 500 years. And then along comes a guy named Martin Luther. Martin. Martin Luther was a a theologian, a teacher, and a monk from Germany. And he had significant criticisms about practices within the Roman Catholic Church. And and he wrote them out, these 95 theses. Legend has it he nailed them on the door of the church. And they were criticisms, constructive criticisms. He wanted to see reform happen within the church. He wasn't trying to tear the church down. He wanted to see the church improve and grow because there were some really unethical practices that were happening. Unfortunately, he was called before the leadership, called before the Pope, and he was asked to recant all of these criticisms and to simply accept the church's doctrine and the church's practice. And he couldn't do it because he felt like it was contrary to scripture. And so they excommunicated him. They kicked him out and kicked off the Protestant Reformation. And if we go back and look at this diagram again, you can see there in the middle, starting with Luther on the left and then splitting out the Protestant Reformation created this ongoing practice of splitting and dividing over a number of secondary issues around belief and practice. With each successive split, no one, no one, with each successive split that we look at that's happened through history, no one looked at the Apostles' Creed and said, no, I don't believe that anymore. We believe something different. Or if they did, they ceased to be a Christian church. No, everybody looked at the Apostles' Creed and they said, It's a good start. Good job, leaders of the early church. And I know it's been around for a 1,000 years, but we can do better. Like there's some things that you're missing. There's some essentials that you left out. I love this cartoon my friend John Chapman sent me. Uh, You can't read it, so I'll I'll kind of explain it to you. So it's, uh, the door says membership class, and the teacher is pointing to a diagram like the one we just looked at, and he says, so this is where our movement came along and finally got it right. And one of the students says, wow, Jesus is so lucky to have us. <laughs> and that's a little tongue-in-cheek here, right? But the idea is that with each successive split, there was a disagreement around belief and practice, and some group of people thought that they were so right that they couldn't hold the tension of being in communion and in fellowship with people who disagreed with this, and they created a new denomination. They split or created a new church. Um, I, I saw the signs of this all over the place growing up. I grew up in the South, in Mississippi. And you go to these tiny little towns in the South, and you, you drive through, drive down Main Street, and there's like five or six different churches. There's a Methodist church, always a Baptist church, sometimes a couple of Baptist churches, you know, maybe a Lutheran church, maybe a Catholic church. And they're all reflections. They're not there because there's that many people that need to go to church. It's that they all have different ways of practicing faith, And that all comes from the history of this inability to hold on to unity even in the face of difference. And what I really love, I grew up Baptist, so I can make fun of Baptists a little bit, but one of the things that I always love, sometimes in a small town you'll see like a first Baptist church and then you'll see a second Baptist church, sometimes within sight of each other. And what happened there is Somebody within the church thought somebody else in the church was wrong about something and they all got together and there was a faction and they split and then suddenly there's two Baptist churches. The same denomination in the same small town split and create two separate churches because they can't hold on to the tension that's created by having a difference of opinion, of belief, of practice. Part of what led me out of that denominational world in my 20s when I was choosing for myself, the church that I wanted to be a part of was all of that bureaucracy and hierarchy and what I saw as, as, as hypocrisy, too. Like, there was just a lot of stuff I wanted to get away from. So I started attending a non-denominational church, which is even worse, because non-denominational churches, they say all the denominations are wrong, and we're going to choose for ourselves what we believe. So with a non-denominational church, you could end up with a, you know, an infinite number of different belief statements about what... They believe. So when Norton and Jason and I decided to come to Denver to start New Denver Church, and we decided we didn't want to be part of any of the denominations that were out there for all those reasons, we were faced with the same problem. Are we going to just continue in this process of writing a really complicated, detailed belief statement? What do we believe? What did we want to have found this church on? And so we started looking at a lot of the different ones that were out there, and the problem is the more complicated and the more detailed they get about what they believe about each little slice and nuance of the church, the harder it is to be able to find agreement, even among three guys who all went to seminary. We couldn't look at these, some of these statements in faith and agree with all the things that they said, even among ourselves. And so from that experience we began to ask the question, what's the most central things? If we were to boil it all down, what would that be? And how, would we, how could we create a community where we could major on the majors? That's the way some language we started using. How could we focus on the things that are most central and most important, and what would those be? And that drew us back to the creeds. It drew us back to the Apostles' Creed, the oldest articulation of our faith. And in that process, we also found this great saying. For, it's been attributed to a lot of different people. It actually came from a, an obscure German theologian that captures this posture and what we wanted to create and what, did we want, what we wanted to infuse into the culture of New Denver. And it says this: in essentials, unity. So, in the essentials, things, in the essential things we want unity. In non-essentials, liberty, freedom to be able to have a difference of opinion or belief, or practice around non-essential things. And in all things, in all things, charity. So the essentials for us, that we we define them as whatever is included in the Apostles' Creed. And we can agree, because every Christian that has ever lived can agree to those things. No one has ever disputed those. The question is, all of the things that are in the secondary category, in the category of disputable matters... And you may be thinking to yourself right now, there may be some tension rising in you saying, the creed isn't good enough. There's a lot of things that the creed doesn't explain or doesn't articulate about what we believe. There's a lot of other important things that get left out of the creed. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. There are a lot of secondary matters that are really important. If you're not sure what they are, if you don't have your own list, let me give you some suggestions. Here are some things that are secondary matters that people have disagreed about for centuries. Baptism, communion, manifestation of the Spirit through supernatural gifts, the role of men in the church, the role of men at home, role of men at work, role of men in the community, the role of women in the church, the role of women at work, the role of women in the home, the role of women in their community, the nature of gender and sexuality, marriage, divorce, remarriage, birth control, reproductive technology, pacifism, is there such a thing as a just war? How much should we give to charity? How much should we make? How much is too much? Should Christians save for retirement? How the universe was created, styles of worship, styles of preaching. What entertainment can Christians enjoy and which ones should we avoid? What about the use of alcohol, the use of tobacco? And for us in Colorado, of course, the use of marijuana. And oh, by the way, if you missed it, Psychedelic mushrooms, also legal as of the last election. Tattoos, piercings, vaccines, mask mandates, and of course, who can forget, how do real Christians vote and what political party are they part of? Are we saying that these things are not important? Absolutely not. We're just saying they're not central. They're not essential. They're not things that all believers have to agree on to be able to be in a growing relationship with Jesus. We all have beliefs and convictions about these things, and I have a lot of sympathy for churches now. Being a church leader, we have to make decisions about a lot of these things, and they have practical implications about who will attend here and who won't based on whether or not they think those things are essential. Last week, if you were here last week, you saw us model Two practical decisions that are about secondary issues. The first, we dedicated a bunch of babies last week. We asked families to come up and to commit to growing their children, raising their children to know God. We did not baptize them. That has been a practice since the early church, that some denominations choose to practice infant baptism. We choose to dedicate babies, but then allow children later in life or adults when they've made a decision for themselves to follow Jesus, to be baptized as adults. Did you know that that practice was so radical when the Anabaptists introduced it that people who practiced adult baptism were persecuted and drowned by the Roman Catholics and by other sects of Protestantism? It was so controversial that people were willing to murder someone over it. I feel like we made a lot of progress, you know? If you want to baptize your kid, we'll just send you to one of the churches down the street that we're in relationship with. That's fine. We can disagree about that, but we have to make a decision about practice. If you were here last week, you also saw Emily lead our baby dedication and then preach. She's a pastor, she leads here. She can lead in any capacity. She is not restricted because she is a woman, she's a rock star and an amazing leader. But did you know that Emily would not be able to do that in every church? In fact, every church that I attended before I was part of starting New Denver, Emily would not have been able to do that. I I shared a couple of months ago, this is a point of theological conviction that I have changed about over time. But I have many friends who lead churches that don't allow women to lead in every role in the organization. And you know what? I'm going to be in heaven. I'm going to be in the kingdom of God with them forever because it's not a central issue. I disagree with them, and I will fight them tooth and nail over it. But you know what? At the end of the day, we're still, we're still brothers and sisters in Christ. We're not saying these things aren't important. They are. And every church has to make a decision. And you each have to make decisions about what are core convictions for you. And some of you won't be able to attend our church because of decisions that we've made about certain theological issues. And we get that. Ask us. We'll tell you some amazing churches that have a different practice. Because we want to hold on to unity and believe it's possible to point people towards Jesus to be a faithful, wonderful church, and disagree with us about how we practice. The Apostle John said it this way, By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have perfect theology, have perfect doctrine, do everything exactly the same way. No, John says, if you love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. So as we go out into our lives this week and we encounter people maybe within this church who disagree with us around belief or practice, let's remember this saying, in essentials, unity. What are the essentials? The creeds define this for us. The non-essentials, liberty. You are free to develop your own belief and practice and conviction before the Lord about all of these secondary issues, and then in all things, but especially when we come into disagreement, charity. Let's pray that God would help us to do that. God, thank you that um, our relationship with you does not depend on getting it right. Because of what Christ did for us on the cross, we are all reconciled to you and can enter into a loving, eternal relationship with you. Thank you that you call us Um, to follow you and to be in relationship with you and to develop our own convictions about what life and practice looks like outside of these essentials. Help us to be people of charity who when we encounter difference are willing to be open and to learn and even make space for people who believe and practice differently than us within the family of Christian faith. May we be generous and kind and humble and hold our beliefs, our secondary beliefs, open-handed. For we believe that 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 pleases you, God, when we seek unity over uniformity. Pray all these things through the Son and by the Spirit. Amen.